Hey everybody, Happy New Year and welcome back to The Way Ramen. Today we have a great guest. We're sitting down and talking to our first female ramen cook, Backyard Ramen. Although she might be more known as the creator of the baby ramen tsukimen photo that went viral on Reddit a few weeks ago, Madoka is actually a legit ramen nerd and learned to make ramen from experts while she was living in Japan. In this episode, she teaches me a lot about the science of umami and how to best bring out those flavors we're all looking for. This is a great episode for all you home ramen cooks looking to up their game because she's going to drop a ton of knowledge. Before we get started, I just wanted to translate a few of the Japanese words she's going to use in this show. So, glutamine-san is of course glutamic acid, inoshin-san is inosinic acid, and guaniru-san is guanilic acid. These are their core components of umami and she's going to talk a lot about how to best bring them out. All right, this one is packed with information, so get your notebooks out and let's get started. Here is Backyard Ramen. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got started making ramen? Um, so I am Madoka. I just recently moved back to the U.S. I've been originally in Tokyo for a really, really long time. Um, working there and stuff but I got into ramen because basically I was bored and I needed a hobby so what are the food options that I can learn because I like food in Japan um, so one of the things was ramen because I had a co-worker who made ramen as a hobby and I thought that was kind of cool so I just picked it up. You had a co-worker in Japan that was making ramen at home? Yeah it was kind of cool like um, so we li- I worked in a small startup company and we had a lot of expats come in and so one of the team building events was a ramen party. So we would go to one of the expats house and he would bring his ramen and like serve all of us. And I thought it was kind of cool as a hobby, as well as like, it's a great return on investments. Think about it. You don't have to go to a ramen shop. You can eat at home. You could rearrange how you like it. Cause it's kind of hard to find like the perfect ramen for your taste. So. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting that, um, you started making ramen in Japan because there's so many ramen shops in Japan like that I'm, I tried to say like and I already did it already. But um, there's so many ramen shops in Japan that it's so easy to find really good ramen everywhere you are that it, I talked to Brian. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm not really that into making ramen because it's so easy to get. So I find that kind of interesting that you started in Japan, which is like the opposite of what most people do. Most people come back to America and then I can't find ramen, so I'm going to make it here. Well, one of the things was like, I was planning on moving back to the States anyways. Uh-huh. So what are the types of foods that I might miss in Japan that I should learn now? So when I go back to America, I wouldn't have to search for like the best ramen or something that suffices my needs. So that's why I picked a ramen as well. But mostly it was because like I was just born and I needed something to do. Oh, very cool. So were you born in America or were you born in Japan? So I was born in America. Um, I moved over there for college or grad school. And then I just decided to work there, been there for a while. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, I was wondering why you could speak Japanese so well. <laughs> lots of lots of practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Okay, let's see. So what year was that that you were first starting to make ramen? And then what year did you move back to America, I guess? So I started making ramen this year. Oh, okay. So around golden, after Golden Week. So uh, when is that, May? Mm-hmm. Mid-May, I started making and then started experimenting afterwards. And I moved back to the States like a month and a half ago. Like, did you f- I've, oh. I've been going back and forth this past year, but uh-huh. like, I've been here for the longest now. So about a month and a half, but I'm going back again. So 
Oh, okay. So you're relatively new to even just making ramen in general. How did you first start learning how to make ramen at home? Because it's, it's really not a easy thing to get into making, you know, you, you obviously know because you've been making it for now for a few months, but it's not a yeah. straightforward thing that you would think like the, you, you make a soup and you put noodles in it. It's kind of really, you know, the tare and the oil and the mm-hmm. soup. How did you first start learning how to do this stuff? So I kind of cheated. I found a teacher <laughs> to oh, teach okay. me everything. So um, he taught me all the basics of how to do like chinton, python, tare, oil. And then my thing was like, I wanted to customize. I wanted to create like these weird new fusion dishes, not just the basic ones. So like I would ask him, how would I arrange this? What areas is adaptable to customization, to the flavors I want? And he instructed me like, oh, this area you can kind of change. You can mix these areas. And that, that's where like I started thinking about how could I make a different type of bowl of ramen? Because right now I feel like in Japan, you have the basic ramen, but you're starting to see like these couple of people trying to push in the envelope using different cooking techniques, um, different ingredients. Like one of my favorite ramen places, it's not a very traditional one, but they make pizza, mazisoba. Oh, okay. And it's oh. Because awesome <laughs> I love pizza. So I was like, oh, this is great. I want to make this. That's cool. So was that teacher in Japan or was the teacher? Yeah, it's in, in Japan. Japan. Oh. Also, there's like a huge community of Japanese people who create ramen so you can kind of ask them to help you out too but I just found a teacher oh wow how did you go about finding that teacher internet it's just really cool. yeah that's amazing I had no idea that that was out there yeah. is are, are are those people willing to talk to like Americans too or are they just like yeah, Japanese kind of helping yeah, Japanese of people I'm mean, like of course there's going to be a language barrier if you don't speak any Japanese at all but well, I, I learned in Japanese, so like everything I know is Japanese terminology. Like when you, everyone talks about umami flavors. I don't know how to pronounce the English words very well. I know how to pronounce <laughs> Japanese. So really Could you give an example? Oh, you mean like the ison- isonic acid and things yeah, like that? Yeah. Uh, I, so like I say inosin-san or grotomin-san, uh, uh, but I don't know how to properly pronounce it in English because I never used it in English. So. Uh, I see. Yeah. So... You move back to America. That's kind of the question that I wanted to get. And I think some other people are asking it too is, well, the question that I had was, did you have a culinary background prior to making ramen? Because, you know, I was looking at your bowls and on Instagram and a lot of them seem really composed and well thought, thought through, unlike things that I'm doing, for example, which is just trying to figure out things without a culinary background. So did you have a culinary background before you came into ramen? Nope. Oh, wow. So ramen's like one of the things things that I think like uh, maybe one of the previous guests said as well is it's a very low bar to get into. Like anyone can jump into it as long as you learn the basics. So like for me, I did that. But the nice thing was that my teacher kind of told me of how to play it, like what to look for why it should be the certain way. So like I put that into account. Also, I make a sketches before I make my bowls uh-huh. to make sure it's pretty. Did you learn that sketching technique from your teacher or is that something that you came up with on your own? I kind of started doing that too, but so I didn't know. So sketching is basically because I originally was from architecture. I oh. went to architecture school, so I did a lot of sketches. So you would always have to sketch before you make a model of any certain type. Oh, I see, I see. Did the um, teacher teach you because um, for tares especially, it's really secretive. You know, we have books. I have this book here. I'm sure you saw it. 
where yeah. it's a pretty yeah, big yeah. book, but half over half of the book, it's sorry, we're not going to tell you the quantities of these ingredients. You have to figure it out on your own. Did, mm-hmm. Was your teacher pretty open with teaching you the quantities and ratios, potatoes and things like that? Yeah. So um, my teacher actually gave me a formula. Okay. To make the tare, and it's not a universal one where you could like not everyone uses it, but it's a general rule of thumb that you should think of. So from that, it's like oh, you can adjust, you can add more ingredients, you can subtract ingredients, but it's basically like this is a basic guideline, and just follow this to make your own whatever tare. Is that a secret, or can you share that on the podcast? Because that'd be pretty cool. I, I have no idea. I have oh. to ask, but... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Don't add, don't, don't share it. If it's, if you don't know if you can share it, but I've seen things online where, what is the English word for that? Embun, you know, like the salinity, yeah, salt yeah, content. The salinity. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. It's like, some people have said it's around 18% for tares. Yeah. Cause you're doing a 10 to one ratio. I'm not sure if that's actually true. How do you, do you know how to measure that kind of stuff? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> how do you, how do you measure that? Cause I, I know what it means, but are you just taking it's the total weight of the salt exact calculation? It's like an estimate. So for solidity, um, basically you just, it's like you add up all the ingredients that have salt content and then you, oh no, you do the opposite. You add up all the ingredients that doesn't have the salt content. And then it's like, since the other ingredients don't have salt content, you have to add salt whatever percentage like so if if you said it was 18 percent, so if you put meeting meeting doesn't have a salt uh so you need to add an 18 percent solidity into meeting how much would that be how do you find the salinity for like shoyu and things like that you don't so oh, okay. basically that's why it's like a rough estimate you don't mm-hmm. have to add salt like you could just do purely sh- uh shoyu mm-hmm. then you don't need salt but if you like use other ingredients that don't have high salt content, then it might be lacking. So that's why you add. But mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be 18. It could be much less. Yeah. We talk like, about... If you put oh, yeah, more MSG, you don't need that much salt. Okay, salt. can we talk about that? Like, what is the relationship to MSG and the way that it uh, affects the saltiness of something? Do you know anything about that? Because I know that this is... What you said just now, I've heard that before too. Where if you add MSG or other you know, glutamic components or umami components that the salt can come down. Yeah. What do you know about that? So um, if you go onto like the umami information website, they cover this, mm-hmm. but they say that one thing that umami does is actually give the food more flavor without adding extra salt. A lot of times, like when food is lacking, is either it's lacking salt or umami. So you just add one or the other. There's a balance. You have to figure it out by like testing it out, by adding one thing or the other, but Ultimately, if you have a higher content of umami or, or umami, you could probably reduce the salt a bit. But that's like my type of flavoring and palate. So other people might like saltier foods, and that's where the arrangement comes in. Like I believe, what was it Jiro? Jiro doesn't use salt in their tare. Oh, really? Technically. It's just like tons of tons of MSG. <laughs> this is what I've heard. That's why uh-huh. it's so cheap. Wow. I- yeah, that's cool. Because you don't have to use kombu or niboshi or shiitake or any of that stuff. It's like basically tons and tons of MSG. They're not deriving any natrum no. umami components. So what, what was taught to me, like my teacher told me, was Jito's, the whole purpose of Jito was to give college kids or something like a good hearty meal. 
that was good and cheap. So to offset the price, he just made a really, really cheap rum. That's why the viscosity or richness is much thinner, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, and they put a lot of vegetables and it's like moyashi. Moyashi is probably the cheapest vegetable you can get in Japan. <laughs> oh, really? It's kind of yeah. expensive where I live. How much does it cost in Japan for like a bag of beans? So if you get a really cheap, it goes down to like 10 yen for a bag. <laughs> I didn't know that. On average, is about like if it's on the cheap side, maybe thirty to forty yen. More expensive would probably be seventy yen. I don't know, but oh. it's super cheap. That's why it's like you see a lot of moyashi for cheap bowls, mm -hmm. like Jito does it. But this is just what I've heard. I'm not sure if it's like true, so anyone could correct me on that. But that makes sense. I mean, I didn't know that it was so cheap to buy bean sprouts in Japan. So it's kind of an easy filler to do. Yeah. Um, can we talk about, it's, I just find it fascinating because you're someone that's learned from these people in Japan, the umami components. So a lot of people are trying to figure that out now in America and mm -hmm. how you go about bringing them. And then there's different types, right? There's the, like you said, the glutamine-san or whatever, it, whatever it's called. I forget what it's called in Japanese, forgive me. But, and then there's that, the other one that comes from fish and pork. I forget what the noun is called. Yeah, 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 yeah. So could we talk about those? like? Did he teach you about what comes from what and how do you bring yes. those out? Okay. In general, um, the general main components he taught me, the rest is online. You can mm -hmm. just research it and it comes up. But um, I think the ones that everyone knows are kombu is glutamine-san, and then niboshi is inoshin-san. Mm -hmm. And then you have shiitake, which is uh, guan-niru-san. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of those three. And he gave me a ratio, but when I checked online to reconfirm the um, ratios, it, I don't think it's accurate, but I might have to test it myself later, like personally. But online, it says that you can get seven or eight times the amplified flavors of umami if you do a one-to-one -one ratio between Gurutami-san and Inoshin-san. So they kind of play off each other. Yeah. So you can do like seven to three or three to seven, mm -hmm. but the ultimate maximized thing they say online is a one-to-one -one ratio. You have 50-50%. So if you look at like dashi, yeah, they did research about dashi at one of the top um, Japanese restaurants. And they looked into the dashi and they said that the amount of aminic acid or umami acid of both types is relatively one-to-one -one ratio. Oh, that's so interesting. So I should definitely give that a try too. Yeah, so if you th start thinking about Tata and looking at those components, it's, it's nice to just do one-to-one. -one. Um, and then I found another research paper that said something about mushroom. Those mushroom amino acids actually uses as, it serves as an enhancer for glutamine-san. So like to me, it's like, okay, if you do a one-to-one -one ratio of a fish and a kombu, and then you add a little bit of uh, mushroom type, amino acid, it would probably further amplify from seven to eight percent or ten times the mommy flavors. Mm -hmm. So I think that a good example might be like, um, was that one with the Michelin star with the truffle? Oh, tsuta? Yeah, tsuta. If you yeah. think about it, you have chicken base, yeah. which is inoshin-san. And then gurotami-san might be the kombu that they use for the mizudashi, possibly. Mm -hmm. And then they have the truffle, that's the mushroom the oh. amplifier umami. So that's why it's probably really, really packed with umami flavor. 
I never thought about that because yeah, you could. He's essentially just swapping shiitake for. I mean, with truffle. So exactly. Wow, that's genius. That's actually really thoughtful and really thought through. It's kind of so, blowing my mind right now. I don't know what、right、he、now. uses exactly, but that's、mm. my assumption from looking at the bowls. I've <laughs> read it. I've read online that he's also used clam in his dashi as well. Well, clam is one of those things that is not like gunonani san, but it's similar to it's a smaller type of umami.、Mm. I'm not sure. Maybe that helps amplify it too. But wow, pretty. That's pretty incredible. I don't even know where to go from there. I just want to talk, keep talking about that kind of stuff. Okay, so in Japan, there's MSG, right? Ajinomoto, and there's also things called like haimi, and、mm-hmm. there's another one I can't remember. What's the difference between these things? Because I I've done some research, and there are different. They're basically different types of umami additives, right? So ajinomoto is—is、mm-hmm. is it 100% glutamine sang or is it? Um, so I think it's extraction. Um,、uh-huh. I've done some research about it. I think ajinomoto is purely purely based on kombu. At least、mm-hmm. in Japan, it's from kombu. When I was looking at the ingredients in America, the American ajinomoto is derived from corn. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. And then haimi is supposedly a combination of multiple sources combined into one. That's why it's more rich in umami flavor because it's just not one glutamisan. It's not、uh-huh. the amino monosodium、uh-huh. compound. It has other compounds in there, so that's why. Do you personally use those things, or do you try to derive them naturally when you make ramen? Of course, I use them. <laughs> oh yeah, you're Japanese. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a big made up of MSG. So there's a big stigma in the West、um, for people using MSG in cooking, and、mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, even for I can't even for myself. You know, someone who grew up in America that I kind of bought into that a little bit in the beginning, where oh, this stuff is not good for you, and it's a signal of low quality food and things. But the more that I Read about it and glue、uh, about just umami flavorings and things. It's basically just powdered umami that you can use in cooking to make it taste better. Japan doesn't seem to have that, you know, that that kind of stigma with it at all. <laughs> I mean, of course, it was invented in Japan, so maybe that's、really、part of it. But, yeah, like all these Japanese people eat umami, yeah, eat,、mm-hmm. use ajinomoto, and they're not dead. Yeah, you yeah, a, you have a pretty healthy, like I don't know, population. So compared to America, everyone's saying they get sick. I'm like,、uh, did you look at the other populations who use、uh, it regularly, like Thai, Vietnam,、mm-hmm. Cambodia? Come、mm-hmm. on. Yeah, yeah. It's probably like the one of the in terms of like most harmful foods in America. Adding MSG to something is probably a lot less harmful than some of the other things that we're eating a lot in America. So I also heard like recently they are not recent, but、um, Ajimoto actually changed their formula. Okay. Because of the whole scare, like before, it was really unhealthy, but then changed it up. So, so I don't know. the The compound isn't like MSG, like monosodium something. It's like something else, but I'm not sure. I forgot. I I read it somewhere like a couple months ago. I was like,、oh. huh. But there are substitutes, and they're a bit more expensive. And I know that certain ramen shops use it. I think they use um. Not gonna kobo. What was it? Kobo. Um, they use an extract. So I was trying to figure out how to use that.、Um, I think they use like Vegemite, Meramite, because it is in umami bond、yeah. technically. 
from mm. what it's derived from, it's from yeast. They're taking the umami from yeast, and making it into a paste. Mm. So there are certain places that use that instead to offset the MSG issue. Oh, I see. And then the effect is the same? They say it's the same, but the only difference is it's more expensive. Oh, I see. Yeah, in America, I know that a lot of processed food uses things like yeast extract, and yeah, that's, that's basically the same it's effect. Yeah. yeah, it's just the source is different. Yeah, yeah. So they can put on the package uh, no ad, no added MSG on it, but it's just the same physio- physiological effect. Pretty much. Have you seen a shift in Japan when you were there? You know, you have these kodawari bowls and things that are restaurants that are popping up. Is there a shift in Japan as well to get away from MSG or is it still like, no, it's no problem. It's fine to eat. I haven't seen any issues <laughs> with MSG personally. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I don't know why everyone's all up on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I get a lot of comments on my, uh, my YouTube channel where people are like, MSG, no, thank you. You know, they'll read that on the things because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing Japanese. Like I, I have all these books around me where from japan and things that i ordered you know mm-hmm. and a lot of them say add msg to whatever yeah, you're doing and so i'm just trying to do the recipe as faithfully as possible to the books and then they're getting all kind of crazy but um what kind of ramen shops did you eat at in japan so i'm a very habitual person so i don't eat a lot of ramen shops i just go to the ones i like okay and- <laughs> There are only two places I really, really went to a lot, and they're both in place I lived in. So the other one was um, a place I've been telling everyone that they should really try because it's like a really small local thing, but it's um, like Sano-style ramen. What is that? Sano is an area in Tochigi prefecture, and they're known for like shoyu-based or shio-based, chinton-style, but their signature is their noodles. Um, they make the noodles, they flatten it out with a big bamboo stick. Oh, okay. I've seen Chinese noodle makers do that, where they're kind of like putting their leg on the big bamboo stick. Yeah, and yeah that's oh, okay. style. Oh. So what this does is like, it makes it very chewy, mm-hmm. but it's also a high um, hydration. So what someone told me was, we can't really do it in a machine because it's such a high hydration. It gets stuck, the dough itself. Oh. So they end up just hitting it, but I don't know. <laughs> Wow, that that actually is kind of interesting because high hydration noodles have its own characteristics when you add it to soup. And if you're doing like a chintan soup too. Yeah. So I heard on average, it's probably between 40 to 50 hydration. Yeah, that is really high. Fairly high. But yeah, there is this place. There's one place I found in Tokyo that does that. And it happens to be right by my house. So I would go there every weekend. It's called a kicho, meya kicho. It's a small mom and pop shop run by two people, mom, dad, and there's like only seven seats in the counter. Um, That's super good. Like, not only is their ramen really good, but their chashu, I don't know what they do with their chashu, but it's like mind-blowing amazing. I feel like it's it's like a Japanese nice version of a Chinese, that red chashu pork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that, I feel. I think they might have smoked it. It's really good. And they put that chashu on like this rice bowl. It's so good. And then what's even more delicious is the wonton. They make that into the wonton. And it's like usually wonton, you have this image of being really meaty. Mm-hmm. But there, they only use like a pea size or peanut size worth of meat. And it's so flavorful. And it's wow. like a perfect amount in your mouth, one bite. 
It's really weird, but it's really good. They use that that Chinese, that red Chinese chasu in Hawaii a lot in Simon, and I I don't like it, but I haven't had good a good version of that. So maybe if I eat that one, I'll be like, oh yeah, this is actually better. Oh, I I love that place. Uh-huh. I love their chasu. So that's what I go for. I always get the chashu bowl. If you go for lunch, they give you it for 100 yen. <laughs> that's super cheap. Yeah. So you get a bowl of uh, chikasobo, which is super cheap. It's like, I think, seven, eight, or 670. Wow. 680. And then you get the extra bowl of rice. It's like 780, less than 800 yen or something. So that's it's crazy. Super- you can play with, like, paying for a whole meal with coins is still kind of a weird concept for <laughs> me as American. Can we talk about the. Have you eaten at any ramen shops in America since you've been back? Or have you just been, been making ramen? One. Okay. Just one. And I was so disappointed. <laughs> I was so sad. <laughs> My parents were so humanly disappointed too. Uh-huh. They're like, this is salty. This uh-huh. isn't very good. And I was like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm a little traumatized from that. So, so then you like find it online and then you're like, yeah, hey, let's go to this ramen shop. It has good reviews. Is that kind of the case? Or was it a um so a we were Shopping at Mitsuo, the mm-hmm. Japanese place, and there's a couple of restaurants like around the area. And I was looking on Yelp and I was like, okay, this one seems pretty decent. And it seems like a Japanese person was cooking in the kitchen. I'm not sure, but so I decided to go there. And it's like a really small shop, but we ordered three types of bowls. Um, my mom got the abrasoba, my dad got the jiro style, and I got uh-huh. the skimmin. Or maybe he get, got yeke, I forgot. Uh-huh. We all had different types of ramen, and we all hated it. We're like, <laughs> oh. oh. And my dad's like, you know, you make better ramen than this. And I was like, I would hope so. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was really bad. It was like, it was only bad because it was just way too salty. Uh-huh. So I'm guessing either a lot of the ramen shops in LA, I haven't had it a lot, maybe just that one sense, but it's either probably too salty or kind of bland. Oh, it's not like that perfect balance of they're not hitting yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not sure. So there are people who've eaten much more than um, I have. But just from that experience, I just don't want to go to ramen. <laughs> have you? What do you think about the cultural difference between how people eat at ramen shops in Japan and how people consume ramen in America if they go to a restaurant? Brian talked about it a little bit in the podcast that's coming out probably today or tomorrow, probably today, mm-hmm. um, where in Japan you know, the, the shop owner can kick you out 50 minutes if you're taking too long, you know, like, get mm-hmm. out of here. And in America, it's kind of like, you're not going to tell me how to eat my food, you know, you just mm-hmm. eat it however. Have you noticed, like, at that ramen shop that you went to in America, did you notice that where people are just sitting and talking and, and you would oh. go to that other shop in Japan where it's like, you have to eat really quickly? So that place is a bit different. It's not uh-huh. like one of those sit-down type of place. It's one of those like pick-up-and-go types. So okay. there weren't that many people. They would eat, just leave. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so that's not like a very typical American ramen mm-hmm. shop, I believe. But like I understand the, the business beside it. Like a ramen bowl, you can only charge so much. So the only way to make profit is to cross-sell. Uh-huh. certain other items and that's why in american shops i feel that it's better to have customers sit down purchase more items than one but in japan mm-hmm. it's more condensed and they try to make a profit by selling more bowls of ramen mm-hmm. that's why they want to kick you out so it makes sense from a business standpoint and that's probably the culture too because the ramen concept is like eat and go it's like a yeah. mcdonald's yeah yeah fast food completely yeah. fast foodish okay 
Okay, let's start to talk about. <laughs> you recently put out the Baby Yoda Tsukimen bowl or on yeah. and, and, and Instagram. <laughs> it kind of blew up. So, can we talk a little bit about the inspiration behind that? Or, I mean, it's probably from The Mandalorian, but you know, how you <laughs> came up with that idea to do that. Yeah, so、um, Baby Yoda was just by chance.、Um, so, my thing was. That I wanted to make like themed ramen or、mm-hmm. seasonal ramen. And I've been trying to do it. Like I've started doing it. I made one for Halloween. I made one for、um, Thanksgiving. And they've been doing all right, not too big. And I also want to do like character ramen because in Japan, there's like this whole culture between karaben, something making something、mm-hmm. normal and making it super cute. And I'm just wondering, like, why doesn't anyone do that for noodles?、Uh-huh. It's always rice. So it was like a small challenge to me. It's like, could I make a bowl of ramen cute and then make more women want to make ramen with me? Because <laughs> if you look in the dynamics of people who make ramen,、yeah. it's majority male. It's majority <laughs>、yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about that too. But so you were doing the, trying to make basically karaben for ramen, and that was kind of like the inspiration for it. Yeah, that was one of the inspiration. The other thing was it was Christmas. I wanted to make something. I didn't, I was thinking Christmas theme. And then when I was looking at Instagram,、um, Babish, Binjin、yeah. uh, Babish, he posted a photo of his kitchen with Baby Yoda. I was like, oh, maybe I'll just do a Baby Yoda ramen. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool.、Uh-huh. It was so cute. I was like, why not? Everyone loves Baby Yoda,、uh-huh. everyone loves ramen. And then, yeah, I was just looking around. There weren't anything that combined anything very, like, the only thing I saw was possibly the, what was it, the cookie? Everyone was、uh, making cookies. Yeah. That's not a challenge to make a baby Yoda shaped cookie. It's, it's yeah, a challenge like, to make a baby Yoda out of an egg. <laughs> it's kind of a challenge, you know. How did you get the egg green? What did you do for that?、Um, And also, so, what was the flavor of the egg? The flavoring? Because you can't do shoyu, you know, the, the typical ajidama. You, You can't do that with green, you know, because it's going to turn brown. How did you get it? No, it is shoyu flavored. Oh, it's shoyu flavored? How did, yeah, you get so, it to, how did you get it to be green?、Um, so I got green food coloring.、Mm-hmm. Just bought it online, put a couple of drops with water, and then I added the shoyu dare、uh-huh. and get the dilution to where it's not too salty. Oh, okay.、But、really important. The hardest part was trying to get the right color of the、uh-huh. solution because. The green dye is very green. It's like royal green. Yeah. So, trying to make it to that like murky, earthy green was a bit、mm-hmm. hard. So, it was like a lot of trial and error. Okay, how much tare should I put? How much green? How much water?、But、trying to get the flavors right is like a lot of experimentation of that sort.、Oh. And what, what kind so, of. Like,、um... I'm kind of excited if, when people start actually making those little baby Yoda with Hajitamas, <laughs> figuring out like. If they actually do look like my color, or will they be a different type of green?、Uh-huh. Will it make, turn into an avocado? Because everyone thinks it's an avocado with an egg inside. Oh, is that, is that what people were commenting on your. Yeah, they're like, is this an avocado? Is this an avocado with a yolk inside? Like, <laughs> do I have enough time to do that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what kind of broth did you make for that? Because everybody's so focused on the baby Yoda, but it's obviously、uh-huh. like a tsukimen, you know? So, what did、yeah. you do for that?、Um, that was tonkotsu, but I made it lighter because、mm-hmm. I wanted a soupier. Yeah. Because、yeah. he was making tonkotsu soup. So, 
So I guess that would be less viscous. I stopped it before it got too thick. Uh huh. So maybe I would say it's probably about a four or five in like concentration. Do you do you use bricks or anything, or you just kind of eyeball everything? Like my teacher taught me with it, so I kind of know by the consistency of the、okay. soups. Like, oh, this is probably a five or six, or like this seven eight. And like bricks isn't really that super accurate, anyways, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Range. So、mm. I was like, oh. Do you think it's worthwhile for someone to learn with bricks, and then they can kind of eyeball it from that from later from that point on, or you think it's not、um, even worth it? You can just kind of eyeball it from the beginning, and this looks like a soft jello, or this looks like a firm jello kind of thing. Like I think when you're learning by yourself, it might、mm-hmm. be hard if you have someone to assist you and tell you, "Oh, this is should be about a four or five, or this is six or seven." Then you can judge after that,、um, but. For me, like the only purpose for me now to have that type of refractor meter is if I want to make consistent bowls.、Mm-hmm. Like if I have a shop and people are expecting this type of flavor from my ramen, then yeah, I'll probably need to get it because they're expecting that.、But、yeah, can't、right、be different now, every single time. Yeah, like even as a pop up shop, like since you can kind of recreate a different bowl every single time, you don't really need it.、Mm-hmm. Unless you're making two batches, and you ran out the first batch, and you're trying to make up for the loss, then yeah, maybe. But you just mix them together, and then it's like everything's <laughs> the same. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk a little bit about that? You know, you mentioned that there's no, essentially, no women making ramen. You're probably the first person that I've seen making ramen at a high quality level. You know, there are. Women on YouTube that have ramen videos, yeah, making ramen, but it's not real ramen. It's kind of like, whatever. Can we talk about a little bit? Of, why do you think it's? It's not like women don't like to cook. Men and women both like to cook equally. But why is is it because ramen really is like a guy food kind of thing, or is it more?、Mm. What 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 do you think? I think it's basically as guy food. It's like how barbecue is、mm-hmm. in America. Mostly males who make it, like barbecuing, smoking food. Um. Also, I think ramen seems to be like one of those things that it's intimidating to most people, even for like guys, but for females too, because it's long and intensive. Maybe, and this is just my opinion because it's not that pretty. It's not cute. <laughs> So if oh to me it was like if I make a cute ramen maybe I can get more women to like it, and it was kind of funny because I was seeing how everyone was starting to follow me, and my audience actually shifted about ten percent from male to female. Oh, that's cool. And I was like, oh, huh, maybe I do do have something going on, but <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I really hope that people really can see beyond the Baby Yoda ramen because you've been making cool things for a long time. I told you a long time ago. I think you deserve a lot more followers on Instagram because your bowls are really well thought through, and it makes sense now that you said you had a teacher that kind of taught you how to kind of think about these things. For a lot of us in America that don't have that, we're just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks and things. Can you talk about a little bit about your seasonal ramens? You kind of mentioned a little bit before. What you kind of have done so far, and what you're trying to go for in the next, with your next kind of seasonal things. Um, so seasonal ramen is like one of those. It's two types of concepts. One is a motif, like a seasonal motif,、mm-hmm. 
um, what type of things visually can makes it exemplifies that season. The other one is ingredients. Um, I haven't really looked into ingredients too much, just like a general ingredient. Like if I go really seasonal, there's a lot more I can use, but I've been focusing on motif a bit more. So, um, so I would just look around internet, figure out what types of themes everyone has that exemplifies that theme. So the past for Halloween, I did like a ghost with tombstones and a haunted mansion. Um, for, I guess for Thanksgiving, I made like a naughty art of a turkey mm -hmm. with a pilgrim hat. <laughs> it really um, is like Karabin. Karabin yeah, it is yeah. I also did, um, I didn't post this because it wasn't very good. But I actually made a Lion King ramen bowl. Oh, wow. Right before Lion King was about to release, because I thought it was kind of cool. Uh -huh. But my planning was very not good because it's my first time doing it. And I didn't put the cheese on top of the, or under the nori. So when I put it on the bowl, it just shriveled up. Oh. <laughs> and you had cut like a character out of it. Yeah. So I had, um, Simba, Pumbaa, and what was the other one? Timon. We're we're the same generation, so of course I yeah, know the line here. <laughs> you know how they're like walking on the log? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. The but Hakuna I made Matata like a scene. Log, uh -huh. And I made a nori cut out of them, and I was trying to make it so they're cutting it out or walking along. Yeah, way. yeah. And you know how the chashus are like circles? Yeah, yeah. So I cut that bottom to make it look like it's like a sun. <laughs> It was like a chashu log <laughs> with a chashu sun uh -huh. with them walking across. That's super cool. I think that, man, that's so interesting because, you know, maybe a lot of people might see that and say like, oh, it's cute, but it probably doesn't taste good. But you know what you're doing too at the same time. So it's kind of, I really hope people can appreciate that you do know what you're talking about with the, because you learn all these things in Japan. Yeah. yeah. But that, uh, what? Yeah, and I also so. think for what I really find interesting about you is that there's a lot of people that are making ramen in America, more, well, a lot more than I thought were out there, evidently, when I started the podcast and the YouTube channel and the things. You're, you don't seem intimidated by trying to incorporate all these different types of ingredients into ramen. Mm -hmm. Well, I think a lot of people that are making ramen at home, they're just sticking to not it's not traditional ramen, but it's conventional ramen. I would say to this to a certain extent, where they're making the risks that they're taking with their bowls is not as f you're taking it to like a ten, and maybe most people's comfort level for taking risks, from what I've seen, is maybe like a five, and that's pushing mm -hmm. it. You know, like wow, I this, this person added. I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but but you're completely going like you just said. You're doing nuts and ramen and things. What gives you the confidence to do? to go that far with it? Um, I think it's really confidence. Uh -huh. It was more basically like understanding the basics mm -hmm. and understand where it is customizable. So like, and it's like understanding the essence of the ingredients mm -hmm. as well. So for me, tare, everyone's like, oh, basics is shoyu, meeting, sugar, and sake. Mm -hmm. That's the most basic. 
But to me, I was like, okay, what is the basic ingredient socket? What is it made of? It's alcohol. It's mm-hmm. like, then I don't necessarily, do I have to use alcohol? Couldn't I just use whiskey? Mm-hmm. Or could I use shochu? Meeting is technically a combination of sugar and like nine different types of sugar and alcohol. It's like a 14% alcohol base. So it's like, technically I wouldn't need meeting. I could just use different types of sugar to offset it. So it's that, those types of components, as well as understanding what ingredients has those type, types of umami flavors and how to build on that. And it's, I don't know, it's like how to combine everything. It's like decomposing all the ingredients and compose, like bringing them back together to make something unique. So I think in one of the first bowls, something I derived away from was I created like a salsa ramen. Yeah, so I see that, yeah. But if you really think about the actual components of salsa, people already put those ingredients as by itself, as a standalone in like Toti Python. You see people that already put the garlic stuff, they put the tomatoes, they have onions in there and green onions. And some people put like black pepper. And technically salsa is those those components combined together in the smallest thing. So it's like decomposing, recomposing, compiled, type of thing so i don't know it's not really confidence it's just more like just having fun with it i guess well i feel like yeah that's because you know the the essence of what makes these components you're okay with playing around with and pushing it to i kind of talked about it with mike where is the limit between where it stops being ramen and it's just something else that's not not ramen anymore and i think you're comfortable with going all the way to the cut to the edge of that, while most people are are so afraid of crossing that line that they stop way short of that. Oh, the 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 ramen line, or <laughs> it's not. It's just spaghetti soup now. You know, <laughs> you can get past that point. So I I really find that really interesting because, and maybe it is because you have that foundation that you learned from the teacher, and well, you can break this good. because. I guess ramen, there's only so many things you could do with the basics. So uh-huh. if you get sick of that, you got to play around, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe like in Japan, there's a bit more creativity right now because they already have the basics set up. So they're looking at different techniques. They have different types of bowls. Um, whereas here, they're still trying to develop that culture. So that's why they stay true to its form. And if it has like some weird like tangent, everyone's like, no. But I feel like this is what happened to Korean food how the Korean taco came out with Kogi and now they have like bulgogi fries and bulgogi bowls or so gradually I think we'll get there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That that was another thing that I was trying not to say on the podcast. It's pretty cool, but it really is fascinating. Um, Have you, what kind of things have you seen in Japan before you left that were kind of what you're along the lines of what you were doing where you know, the people that are pushing the envelope. I've seen uh, a, a vignette about this. I think the shop is called Man- Manriki or something like that. It's a really spicy Indian-influenced bowl. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, you know, Keza was doing a green curry ramen at, yeah. at, while he was in Japan. What, what, have you seen anything that's been really interesting in Japan while you were there? So there's like this green ramen and blue ramen it's like a chinton soup and i don't know how they got the green or blue i think they extracted from something but it's natural apparently and super green and super blue like water blue i think i've seen that yeah did you did you try that or 
No, but apparently it's like a hit with women because it's a very clean broth and it makes perfect Instagram photos. So there's one of that. And then I heard there's like this coffee ramen. They have like pudding and kiwis and bananas on it. And it's supposed to be like sweet type of ramen, Uh but I haven't had it. And then there's my favorite, the um, pizza mazza soba. So <laughs> oh, yeah, you talked about that. <laughs> how do, how then, do they put that together, the pizza mazza soba? Is it like a tomato sauce kind of thing? Yes, or, it oh, is okay. a tomato sauce. Um, I believe they used anchovies, tomatoes, and lots of vegetables to get the umami. Um, they might have used a chicken base because it doesn't smell very porky. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they might have used a couple of spices because the spices are very similar to, you know, those like, El Paso, like taco seasoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had that type of flavoring, so it must have been, like, <laughs> maybe they just opened the pack of that, and that's their secret. Yeah, ingredient. I was like, like oh, secret is- American ingredient. Exactly. <laughs> that. Yeah. So that was a really interesting one. They also made like carbonara, mazasoba as well. So that was really unique. Um, so there's one place I'm trying to try to make is they use tequila. In, is it as a replacement for sake or is it what are they how are they no, using it as like a shot they put a shot of tequila on the ramen oh that's interesting what? oh what kind so, of ramen is that is it like a chintan kind of yeah it's a and then they're just pouring tequila on it yeah i think they <laughs> looked into tequila what complements the flavors the most so uh-huh. it says like you have to be 21 and over to eat it but i was like oh that's kind of cool i want to try doing that next time oh there, there in in Japan, I've well, there was a ramen shop. It's not a shop. It was kind of like a little like tent thing that this lady from Japan was running for a little while. She kind of talked about how women in Japan don't like tonkotsu, or not that they don't like it, but if they had to choose, they would almost always eat chintans and shoyu mm. ramen and things like that. So you- I looked into the data about this because uh-huh. that can be a misconception. And apparently they did a survey and said in general, the Japanese population actually likes shoyu ramen, mm-hmm. like chintan soup. They make up probably like six or 70%, I believe in the data, um, where a female, but tonkotsu comes second, even for male for female. So I think in general, everyone likes chintan a bit more. It's oh, just okay. that I feel that the impact from abroad and the trend of abroad is might have been influencing that perception that women just doesn't like. But what's nice is since we are female, we get cheaper ramen sometimes at restaurants. Oh, really? That's the thing? Yeah, they have a ladies ramen. Uh-huh. So if you're a male, you would probably pay 700, 800 yen. Uh-huh. For me, I would pay 500 yen for a bowl. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of unfair, but okay. <laughs> so. but you do get lesser ingredients, so like um, the male will get two chashus, while I would only get one. Oh, I see. So they make uh, little adjustments. What do you think about the American, uh, I guess not just American, but it's the Western obsession with tonkotsu ramen? I have no idea. <laughs> Personally, I started from Sano ramen, so it's very shoyu, chintan base. Uh-huh. I was raised on that. Every single time I went to my grandparents' place, they would drive me out to Sano and we would mm-hmm. eat that. So I don't know. Um, I had my first EAK when I went to grad school. Okay. And that's the first time I've actually had like good tonkotsu. I was like, oh, uh-huh. 
not bad. But then yeah. I got sick one day, so I stopped eating it. Ah, uh, oh, you mean like you went there and then you got sick after you ate it? Yeah, oh. I got a huge stomachache, so I stopped eating ramen for like two years. Oh, wow. but I I don't know what the obsession is. Um, I guess it's because it's a rich flavor, and mm-hmm. Americans or foreigners they like that impactful flavor. Mm-hmm. It's like how Japanese food and dashi became popular a little bit later, whereas something that's more impactful, maybe like tonkatsu and curry, yeah, was yeah. a bit more popular. I don't know. This might be a perception of mine, but I know like now it's all about like mommy dashi, how to make that very sensual, good balanced food instead of impactful food. Makes sense. Okay. I had I got a couple questions from people on let me see, where did I put the questions? On Instagram. So we can just kind of go through these now. Okay. So so a lot of these questions actually are two-part questions, one being serious and one being not serious questions. So Ryan Wants Ramen asks, what's the hardest part or the part that you struggle most when you're making ramen? Um, I never really thought about it. Um, planning, prepping everything. So for me, um, since I want to experiment, I always use a different type of tate combination mm-hmm. and different type of bone ratios to see like what are the differences. So every single time I make a new batch, I adjust the amounts and it's hard because like you need to think about portioning, how much you would need each ingredients. And that's the most difficult. Making it isn't very hard because it's like once you figure out the planning, you just follow as suit. Um, I would say the easiest is the eggs. Uh-huh. Because once you got the tata, it's easy. You hear but, that? There's a guy trying to start his motorcycle or his car next to me across the street from my house. Baby's trying to catch Baby Yoda. Baby. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, anyways, um, what kind of what do you primarily use now for your soups? I'm just kind of curious. Are you doing majority chicken or are you doing pork bones? Um. So. I do both half and half okay. because like going back to the research, they say 50, 50 is a good way to amplify the umami of the soup. So that's why I try to balance it with 50% chicken, 50% pork. Are so they, are, are, do they give off different umami components, the chicken and the pork? Um, yes, I believe one had, one is, um, what is, Glutamine-san, the other one is Inoshin-san. That's why I put both. Oh, okay. I believe pork was Glutamine-san, and mm-hmm. then Inoshin-san's chicken. chicken. So that's why if you put both, it amplifies. But you can do all chicken. But if you do all chicken, you have to substitute the... You need to find a different way to up the umami in a different way. Mm-hmm. So some people might put vegetables, who has the high Glutamine-san. Um, I believe daikon and napa cabbage might have that or carrots i'm not sure but there are other ways to substitute is it i I know i know we kind of you kind of talked about it oh i just hit my mic you kind of talked about it before but if the ratio is not one to one say it's like 80 20 or something like that how does that what does that do like how does that affect the flavor or is does it does it make the flavor less 
appetizing or is it just that it feels off balance? Like what is the, what does the, the person who's eating the ramen experience with that, with an off balance ratio like that? Um, so for me, I, it's not really, it's more like it gets porky. Like if I do more pork mm-hmm. than chicken, it just gets pork. And if I get more chicken than pork, it gets more chickeny. And to me, like, it doesn't seem as flavorful like soup when you just drink the soup. Uh-huh. It just tastes like chicken water or pork water. But when I do like a good combination, when it's close to one to one ratio, it seems more flavorful. But it might be just me who tasted it. And maybe I'm biased. Like I need other people to test it out to figure it out. So. Yeah, I kind of I've I've had similar experiences where I did a I did I did a batch and I tried to balance the chicken with like a traditional like wadashi kind of thing where you're doing like kombu, shiitake and things like that. And sometimes it would come out really good. And then sometimes when I would cheat a little and put a little bit more chicken, I thought my thinking was, well, if I put more chicken in it, it's going to taste even better because I like that flavor. But then it was actually worse than when it was closer to a one-to-one. So that's, that kind of explains what happened with my thing. So, huh. Maybe. But- yeah. Just my experience. So I don't know. <laughs> I think that's I, it's really fascinating. I I haven't. You're the first person that I really heard talk about these kind of things. So yeah, I do a lot of research about this. Like uh-huh. I did a lot of research about umami. I did a lot of research about water compound, uh, water. So soft water versus hard water, which is better for certain things um, to extract certain types of umami. Um, you talk about that. Like what? What did you find out? So. Um, for kombu, if you're trying to extract the umami to its multiple or to its optimal extraction, it would have to be soft water because um, they say the glutamine song is very soluble in water, but if there is cal- high calcium and magnesium, it actually blocks extraction. So if you want the umami and the flavors to come out, it's better to do in soft water, whereas maybe niboshi, apparently it's it is you can extract it better in harder water interesting and it they say that this comes into like to play in japan where in kansai area they have softer water so that's why their dashi is more kombu based and more flavorful whereas in tokyo it's saltier because they have harder water so they extracted um out of niboshi to get the umami but since niboshi is really really fishy to offset this fishiness they put shoyu which is salty so that's why they have it a bit saltier but there's that part and then how that affects soup as well so i boil it in soft water i don't know how particular everyone is with their boils but like my mom is really crazy with filtered water we have filtered water and she boils it to make sure to get all the bacteria and weird stuff out of uh-huh. it and then i use that water to make my boils so they say that um having those chemicals and minerals it actually blocks extraction so having it soft water would be better but i've read somewhere for certain bones it might be better with hard water but i'm still researching about this and tr- still trying to figure it out but there is a ratio uh, a thing where a type of water hardness does affect the soup. I've seen videos on, on, there's the garbage truck picking up garbage right now. I'm so sorry about the noise, but I can, hopefully I can edit out that sound because I have the track separated, but I've seen videos on, maybe I should stop talking until this garbage truck. All right. And the motorcycle's going. All right. This is great listening for everybody out there, but I've seen videos uh, on YouTube where 
like really, really old, you know, 10 year old videos where they're showing um, people who own ramen shops, they're going out to like a hand pumped water mm-hmm. thing where they're filling up the bottle of water. So that makes a lot of sense because they're using a very specific water from a source that they have found and that they can yeah. extract the flavors that they want to extract. So that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, there's a ramen place um, in Kyoto. I think um, the guy was a ramen adventure, Brian, I believe, mm-hmm. introduced it in one of his YouTube videos, but they source the water from Fushimi. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Fushimi Inari place. Yeah. And I went there. I was like, oh, this is amazing. It's so clean and so good and rich. It's really unexpected. And it's like one of those things that you don't see any foreigners. It's all Japanese people just in a small line. Mm-hmm. So it's a secret. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> that, I'll say I think, like that is a YouTube video. I think the water is probably an often overlooked component when people are making ramen outside of Japan. Because we don't think about it. It's like, oh, we have water. It comes out of the pipe. Yes. For sure. Have you tried to make ramen with just tap water or have you always used, you know, distilled soft water? I've always used soft water. Oh, okay. So, um, I wanted to experiment the difference between hard water and soft water. So mm-hmm. um, I'm actually going to London next year or yeah, next year in January in like two weeks. Uh-huh. And they have very high hard water. That's why uh, black tea is really good over there because black tea is good for hard water whereas oh. green tea is better for soft water. So oh, when I'm that. there, I was thinking of doing uh, two bowls, a very small batch of bowl, one with hard water, one with like purified water and see if there's a difference in flavors of the same type of ingredients. Oh, interesting. Very so, cool. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. And the, the second part of his question was, have you ever considered doing a wild ramen with the animals that you're catching? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would if the animal activists don't get up on my yeah. case about it. I don't know if anybody's ever made raccoon ramen before, but you'd be another pioneer in that. That seems to be the majority of what you're catching in your yard. Yeah, the raccoons are really smelly. It's like <laughs> really, really funky. They they look a little bit too human for me. I have a, you know, I was joking with Andre about doing kangaroo ramen. Though anything that looks too human, I don't see myself eating. The raccoons can stand up and they have their little hand things. So yeah, kangaroos are standing up too. Kangaroo is a bit more feasible than raccoon. Uh-huh. Raccoon's really smelly. Like, <laughs> what was it my friend said? They're like the garbage truck of, or garbage can, garbage of animals because they mm. eat garbage. So yeah. I'm like, I don't know if you want to eat an animal that eats garbage. It's like having <laughs> rat soup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, where was that? There was a question that kind of was related. Oh, wait. So yeah. So Ramen Craft asked, how did you get your name Backyard Ramen? Cause my backyard uh, is, is it started in your backyard um no but my backyard is pretty so I'm saying oh. is. <laughs> okay and then he also and it's asked easy to, it's easy to remember it's easy to say mm-hmm. like if i use a japanese name people will forget i feel yeah so, yeah and or, or they'll just butcher the pronunciation so either yeah, way i actually wanted ramen lab uh-huh. but then I, it, I was like oh damn it <laughs> my noodle took it yeah yeah ramen lab is a good name yeah and you already answered his other question what's your favorite style of ramen so we don't have to go one sano sano everyone go to sano and try it sano sano ramen okay andre key asked where does your inspiration come from when you're making ramen we kind of got into that a little bit but are you trying to recreate things or is it just more pushing 
trying to create your own things? Where does your inspiration come from? Um, just something that would be kind of cool to make. Mm-hmm. So I guess like I have like a whole list of things I want to try, just haven't tried and things that I don't know why people haven't tried yet. So it's like, oh, I wonder if I can make it good. Could you give an example of something that you think you wonder, like, why hasn't someone tried to do this yet? Like Sriracha ramen. Yeah, that's a, that kind of, so now that you say it, kind of seems like a no-brainer in America, you know? So I did make Sriracha ramen uh-huh. in Japan. Um, the problem is they don't have their correct Sriracha over there. So it was all right. But I need to revisit it using the actual Sriracha because mm-hmm. apparently they don't sell Sriracha in Japan. So Japanese, do Japanese people enjoy spicy foods? I always see oh. them, I always see them having pretty intense reactions to Tabasco, but I don't know if it's because Tabasco is sour and spicy, but. Um, I think it's like one of those niche groups. Mm-hmm. You have certain niche groups who really like spicy foods. That's why like Mokotamen is really popular, right? Mm-hmm. Super spicy, super good though. But yeah, sriracha. I don't know why no one has made sriracha. They always just put sriracha on top. It's like, dude, incorporate it in the soup. Yeah, that, that's what I'm talking about. You know, like you're the one of the few people that are pushing it and trying to experiment in these ways where a lot of people just keep it fairly conventional and maybe we'll tweak one thing. I made duck chashu or some duck breast chashu. Like they'll do that one thing or mm-hmm. they'll make a duck python or duck chintan, but it's still a chintan. You just changed the animal. On the other hand, you're doing really crazy things but the fu- the fundamentals are there and it's still ramen which i think is really cool well it's technically like i'm having fun with it yeah like i said i started ramen just to kill time to have fun right mm-hmm. as a hobby so it's no fun always doing the same thing it's like when you're learning how to skateboard do you want uh-huh. to always just do a kickflip uh-huh. skate park no <laughs> want to see if you can do the rails want to see if you can do the bowls uh-huh. want to see if you can do a drop uh-huh but those things are all kind of conventional with skateboarding. Like people do those things. You're doing like, you're inventing like a Homer Simpson movie you know, when you're going up over the mountain. It, I don't know. I just, I just find it really cool what you're doing. So yeah. Hella Ramen, Hella Ramen asks, if you had to choose the last bowl of ramen you'd ever have, what would it be? Mm, let's see. I... It's not really ramen, though, uh-huh. I don't think. I'm not sure if that would answer the question. So my mom makes um, beef noodle soup, uh-huh. and we eat it with noodles, ramen soup, or ramen noodles. So I would that would probably be the last one. But if it's going to be strictly ramen, probably that place I always go to, uh-huh. the uh, aotake. <laughs> Very cool. Bamboo stick. Mm-hmm. Do you ever see yourself doing anything in ramen more than a hobby, like opening pop-ups or doing anything similar to that? I think my mom's yelling at me. To <laughs> um, pop-ups. Um, I, I could do pop-ups. I don't plan on making a restaurant because of overhead costs mm-hmm. and actual labor costs. Mm-hmm. It's just too much of a hassle. Um, the, one thing I do want to do that I'm trying to start up is a ramen community here where I live, where I try to teach people how to make ramen. And I feel that in order to elevate the ramen community and the flavors, 
around here, it, one way is to find more people to make better ramen at restaurants. The other one is actually teaching them about ramen. So if they have a more higher appreciation, they'll increase the level of like what the restaurants have to dish out because expectations are higher. Yeah, I really feel like there is a, there's the start of like a pretty big ramen community worldwide, but we're also isolated that it's not like yeah. what you said, where you can get a group of people together to do these things and share ideas. So that'd be pretty cool that if you could do that, then you can share that with everybody. Yeah, I, I'm going to start up like a group and see how many people actually gather. And it's actually beneficial for me because like I don't really eat that much ramen. Mm -hmm. Like I eat one bowl and I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I have so much leftovers. I still have like half a gallon worth of ramen soup or something in my freezer. And I'm like, I need people to finish it. <laughs> I still have like half a tupper full of chashu uh -huh. finish. I'm like, oh god. And I have bones that I want to make, but I can't make the next batch of ramen until, until I finish my current batch. So I'm like, ah. <laughs> what has have you the people that you're serving your ramen to, are they people that have had ramen in Japan? Or are they is this their first ramen experience for a lot of them? Um both. Okay. So friends mostly it's my friends and families and maybe their friends and families um some of them have eaten ramen abroad in japan some of them haven't um the general consensus is that's pretty good um i don't know if they're just being nice or being <laughs> honest is there they're doing the tatemai thing yeah <laughs> they're all mostly asian but, uh -huh. uh, in general like for me i like it a little bit less salty mm -hmm. and i feel like the people around me like a little bit less salty. So I'm trying to see if I can get random people to have it so I can judge what are the palates of the general population. My guess is it's a bit on the saltier end, but that's another experiment I've been trying to do, like trying to figure out what the palates are here because they're different from Japan. So. Yeah. Everybody's, yeah, I, I think I think so too. Well, you see it in general, just the love for tonkotsu is mm -hmm. a little bit different than what people love tonkotsu in Japan too, but not as much as here. Mm. Well, I think that's all the questions that I, let me check if I have any more questions that came in while we were talking. Uh, let's see, and I know that your mom needs your help. So you guys yeah. are prepping for New Year's? Yeah, I don't see why she needs my help. My dad's <laughs> I think she's just wanting to grab my attention. Uh, she's doing something up there. What is she doing? Okay, that's oh, that's basically all the questions I had. So, can you tell people where to find you um, on on the internet? Um, so you can find me if you Google me backyard ramen, um, Instagramming backyard ramen. You might see some post about on Reddit about my Yoda baby. <laughs> so I don't know, but I don't know how to. Go over like I set the bar pretty high with baby. I'm not sure if I can do that right now. <laughs> okay, uh, so you have any ideas? No, I don't have any ideas. I'm just trying to learn as much as possible now. You're so far behind beyond where I am. So, uh, what's what's the popular TV show? Uh, that's kind, that was kind of like the thing of the end of 2019. So I'm not sure what's you can do Rick and Morty when it comes back. <laughs> yeah, I think the only potential. Might be like one of the Marvel comics. Oh, uh -huh, yeah. Um, I know there's another big one. There's a Mulan. 
Oh, that's right. That that thing keeps getting pushed back. But yeah, there there's the Mulan. Yeah, but yeah. that'd be kind of creepy if I had like a dragon Mushu ramen. Yeah, then maybe that'll be the sriracha one. Oh no, that it's a chicken. You do the Moana <laughs> Moana ramen with the chicken, with the sriracha. Yeah. <laughs> and I have no idea how I compose that because it's humans, not even cute animals. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very maybe cool. Like sexy Shanger. <laughs> Like chashu meat abs. <laughs> yeah, it's like you just cut cut up egghead, egghead with naughty hair and cut the chashu abs out. Oh gosh, that would be cool. <laughs> All right, okay, we can call it there. I think this is a great episode. I really had a good time talking to you. Thanks yeah. so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we'll be, definitely have you back on in the future. I wanna. I would like to have. If I can find someone else that that knows about these things like you, just have like the geekiest ramen umami podcast episode ever. That'd be pretty fun, I think. So I'm pretty sure people there are people who know that, right? Don't don't they? I think I think they do, but they don't talk about it. So I'm not sure if it's like a trait if they're they know about it and they're just not sharing it because it's kind of like the secret sauce of the whole thing. Uh-huh. Or is it just that they don't know? So I guess we'll we'll figure, we'll find out once this podcast episode goes up. Okay. I feel like ramen lord would know a bit or maybe oh yeah he like, probably knows he's like he's, researches it a lot too he so. knows so many things yeah um ramen addict was talking to me about that too he was researching exactly what you talked about today so i think he'll really like this episode oh really yeah yeah his research was a bit different his, his research was about temperature yeah 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 do you know anything about that Everybody so know? i read in a book about that saying that umami is what was it Umami is affected by temperature, yes. Mm-hmm. And that's why the tsukemen bowl or something tastes different when you first start and towards the end mm-hmm. and why it's saltier in the end because apparently like the sugar, it was it sugar is less flavorful at a lower temperature. And that's why ice cream, melted ice cream is really sweet mm-hmm. and frozen ice cream is just perfect. That makes a lot of sense because every time... Not every time. When I tried to do, I've been trying to do this kumamoto tonkotsu for like a month. And it every time I taste the first bite, it's like, this is really good. I nailed it. And by the end of the bowl, like, this sucks. It's way too salty. Yeah. So I was kind of wondering. Why, yeah. You have to eat it in 10 minutes. That's why everyone's like, oh, make sure you eat it as soon mm-hmm. as you can because of the umami or the, how you taste it is quite different based on temperature. Is it better to undersalt and then? So as it cools by the end, it's kind of perfect. Or is it better to try to nail it in the beginning when it's piping hot and then let it get too salty by the end? Um, I guess it's kind of like how what you're going for. Um, uh-huh. I know some skimming places they offset at the cooling by putting like a burning stone in it to make it hot. Uh-huh. Um, if you're going for like a cold noodle, I guess you can make it saltier. Like that's what chuka soba is, I guess, or not um haishi chuka. During the summer, you know, it has high vinegar, pretty high salt content. So it's like sour and tart, but it's served as a cold dish. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. So, but if you want that piping hot ramen, I guess make it perfect as hot. Hopefully they'll eat it. Hopefully they'll eat it before it gets too salty. Yeah. Or it can be like those yakiniku places where you know how you have your own little burner plate. Uh-huh. You make a ramen bowl out of that. When it's <laughs> piping cold like yeah. a nabe. I could, yeah, because I, I think about that, you know, where if you're going to make ramen in America, 
just the time that Americans generally take to eat their meal. They're, mm-hmm. We're accustomed to a 45-minute dinner, an hour dinner. There's going to be people, people eating like a bite and then sitting down mm-hmm. and talking. And by that time, if you're with that standard, you're losing heat as the bowl sits. If you're, if you're nailing it at the beginning when it's piping hot, by the end of that, that they finish, it's going to be way too salty and kind of off balance. And then that's going to be the Yelp review, you know, like this was yeah. too salty. So I'm, how do you, I'm just wondering, like, how do you kind of adjust for that inevitabil- ine- inevitability? Inevitabil- how do you say that word? Inevitability? What the heck is that? Um, a big truck um, this is what I would do if I had a restaurant. Uh-huh. Um, I would just focus on skimming then. Uh-huh, okay. So the noodle itself doesn't get hot. Uh-huh. It'll just get cold. Mm-hmm. But technically, in Japan, they um, shimeru. They shimet the noodles as cold water, so it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter if it's cool. And then for the soup, you could technically just put it like a little nabe, a little burner, so it's always warm. <laughs> and if it goes out, then they know that they it's them, technically. You should have eaten it while it was warm. If it gets uh, cool, it's your fault. Ramen isn't supposed to be cool, warm for like 10 hours straight while you talk. For yeah, 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 yeah. So. And that also prevents this, the noodles from getting too soggy, just sitting exactly. in the... Yeah. yeah. If you put it in the soup, then you'll probably have to do something like Nagoya-style udon, where they make it super hard. So mm. it's meant to be stewed into the soup, where it mm. sucks all the soup. So that's what I would do if I were to have a restaurant and offset that issue. Uh-huh. But this is going to be an interesting episode because I have an episode in the works where I'm going to be talking to a bunch of people that are running pop-ups now. And I'm going to, I'm going to be asking them what they do to offset this. It's not really an issue. It's just a difference in cultures and how people consume foods at restaurants. Yeah. Anyways. Pop-ups yeah, anyways. Huge <laughs> endeavor. I'm not sure if I'm up to it because I get so tired for just like 10 servings. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm kind of I'm very similar to you where I'd much rather make it and then watch people eat it than eat a bunch of ramen myself. Like I'm not really that into going. I think mm-hmm. I told him like that. Yeah, I'm not really. I love good ramen. Like it's probably a really really good ramen. It's one of my favorite foods. It's just that I'm not obsessed about eating it so much. I I, I like the challenge of making it and figuring out and planning and things like that. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. That's yeah. why I'm trying to find people to eat it for me. <laughs> I don't have to. I've gained so much weight. <laughs> or just making my own bowl and I'm uh-huh. the bowl person that consumes it. Like uh-huh. I make uh, 10 servings. I end up giving away half of it, but I have to consume the other half. Uh-huh. And it's not very healthy. I started doing something similar where uh, if I shoot a video and I have a lot left over, I'll make like kits and I'll ask my friends like, Hey, do you want a kit? I'll teach you how to put it together at home. You just have to heat up things and put it together. And I, I thought maybe, Oh, this might be pretty cool. Like if someone did this, but I have yet to have, a friend that has been able to successfully reproduce it at home, even with the kit, they always mess up something along the way. So it's like, oh, it's not bad, but it wasn't that good when I dumped everything in the pot together. I'm like, ah, that's not what you're supposed to do. So I'm not sure how to do that. Maybe you should just combine the oil with the tata to begin oh, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. That's how like the instant noodles work. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for for coming out today. That was a really good episode, and we'll hear more about Backyard Arm in the future, I'm sure. Hopefully, hopefully. We'll see what I dish up next. All right, I'll see you, everybody. All right, bye. Thank you so much to Madoka again for coming on the podcast. I thought it was a really great episode, and I learned a lot. 
Hopefully you guys learned a lot too. If you want to give her a follow on Instagram, you can find her by searching at Backyard Ramen. If you see the baby Yoda Tsukiman, you found her. If you guys have any suggestions for future guests you'd like to see on the show, please feel free to contact me on Instagram at Way of Ramen. And if you want to watch me as I try to learn how to make ramen, you can find my YouTube channel by searching The Way of Ramen on YouTube. All right, that's it for this episode. See you guys all in the next one. Peace.